Rain Man, A Few Good Men, The Firm, is, is the, the latest stinker from, from Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. He doesn't, he doesn't act, act anymore. anymore. He's, He's on, on Cruise Control. control. <laughs> 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 I, just, I just made that up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an auspicious day. What a day! What a fabulous day! It is, in fact, a red letter day. Today marks the dawning of a new episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. Featuring Parker. If at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking till you do succeed. <laughs> and Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Two premier content creators promoting the healthiest brand integrity in the world. Tell them what they've won, Spider. The way I see it, this should be a very dynamite show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Film. My name is Chris, with me as always is Parker, and uh, we have the other Alex here. And we just watched Mission Impossible 6, also known as Mission Impossible Fallout, and I think we can say, without a doubt, I know this is a big statement I'm about to make here, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm completely serious when I say this. This movie is at least one of the five best Mission Impossible movies I've ever seen. Parker, your thoughts? Very brave of you to come out and say that off the top. Mm -hmm. Which is number six for you? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's close, but uh, <laughs> I have to go with three. Correct answer. Yeah. That was, I'm glad yes. we're all in agreement. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a shame. But I, Look, the, yeah. fact that, the fact that we have such ringing praise for a movie that has no Bigfoots in it... Is, I mean, yeah, there is nary a big feat to be found, well, you, and yet here we are singing his praises. <laughs> I'm sure Henry Cavill, Cavill, something, one of those. I cannot believe Smith. the legally obligated mustache has come full circle. <laughs> I'm so happy you guys. I, I wonder if that was part of the script, saying a man who definitely has a mustache, and it cannot be fake at all, uh, enters the scene. He fights a Chinese man in a bathroom. <laughs> we need to do reshoots. He's under contract with us. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll CGI it back on. Nope, you'll CGI it off. Okay. His face was as big but as I a house. I just got hired. You never had your mustache. <laughs> it's that I'm in your I'm face your meme, face. except they all have mustaches in Justice League. Bullshit, asshole. No one likes the DCU. <laughs> I'll talk about that trailer in a little bit. Uh, before but which one, friend? The Aquaman one. Jeez. I wouldn't know, guys. Shut <laughs> up. Fuck it. Are you... Oh. <laughs> Suck it, so, so mad. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Um, I guess, before we talk about the movie, which was pretty good, B-plus, according to Chris Stuckman, uh, we should talk about... Oh, uh, fuck you. <laughs> I love that he was in those movies with Jackie Chan, dude. <laughs> God. All right. <laughs> Fucking damn it. Parker, is everything okay? No. Okay. Would it make it? Would you make it uh, any better? Would you feel any better if you had any news for me? I would if I did. Oh well. But I don't. I'm just gonna sit here and stew over what just happened. I, I guess the only You're news, welcome. actually, um, hmm, we have some news. Uh, in the Me Too culture, uh, we've seen oh, a lot of Americans get called out, but. Not so many overseas. Folks, Luc Besson just got called out. Uh, I, I don't know if, if the allegations are true, but it uh, turns out there's, I think, multiple accusers right now. 
And I'm, I'm kind of in a weird spot right now because I have only seen maybe like three of his movies, I think. And I wasn't really into The Fifth Element. Like, who, who's into The Fifth Element? Oh, yeah, that's my favorite. Fuck that movie. I'm not, I, like, I, I, that's not one of my favorites. I, I feel very strongly about that movie being horseshit. Yeah, but, but uh, Leon the Professional. story for another day. Leon the Professional is, like, my number two favorite movie of all time. So I have to admit, even I have to take a little pause here to see whether I still enjoy it. And I think I do. I haven't rewatched it recently, but uh, I think I, I still enjoy Wait, it. I think hold I'm on. Just... Can Parker and I guess what your number one is? Because I'm going to go with The Rescuers Down Under. I was going to say Stagecoach. Shut up. <laughs> oh, man. Stagecoach is in my top 300, and I think Rescuers yes. Down Under might be somewhere in my top 300. But my number one favorite movie, I can't believe I'm saying this, is Army of Darkness. I'm gonna mark off these three squares real quick. But, but <laughs> all right, continue. Shut up. It's it, I think for uh, the thing about Army of Darkness is I just had a really, really, really good experience with it. I've I've got like good stories about it. So that movie has never let me down. Anyway, uh, speaking of letting me down, yeah, Luke Besson, uh, stern wag of the finger. Do not be a rapist. Um, on one hand, he made Leon the professional. On the other hand, he made Leon the professional. So yeah, this all yeah. checks out to me. Well, still, hey. Come on. I can't believe the movie with the hypersexualized 12-year-old girl was made by a dude that has sex problems. I was going to say it was made by a Frenchman, but, you know. Uh, That's exactly what he just said. Please don't repeat yourself. Okay, yeah. Uh, The other thing here is uh, we should talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy cast, who uh, stand in support of James Gunn. People said, oh, they're standing behind him, and it's like, yeah, that Three Stooges sketch where uh, Mo says, come on, I'll lead the way, go on, pushing someone out in front of him, (laughs) because, you know, I have to say, if they had any guts here, they would say, yeah, I'm just not going to make Guardians 3, rehire James Gunn, or else. I hope that they have the guts to not make Guardians 3 as well. I, I think that would I be... I will not be trolled this late into the evening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't asked my dad about it yet, because you know how much he hated <sighs> Guardians too. But uh, I, I, I think that would be a, a real, you know... That would be the right thing to do. But uh, I don't know whether it would... The right thing to do would too. be to never make another Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Well... This, this, is, this is an outrage, and the only way that we can solve it is to just stop making them. Just, okay. It's now a dead okay. IP oh, in memory okay. of James Gunn. Don't, you like, don't have like, to, never yeah. have to see Kurt Russell ruining this. another movie. Like it's fine. Parker, what did you oh. see? Oh. <laughs> Seeing stars, everything tastes like <laughs> copper. It's not going so hot, guys. I have, I've been on a journey this week. I've been on a very themed journey. But there's one thing that sticks out. The first thing I watched was I finally got to see Isle of Dogs. Yes! It was very cute. That's about all I have to say. Oh, really? I enjoyed Jeez. my time with it. I had a good time. But, yeah, it just kind of went right through me. Boy, I was I was about to assign that uh, for your next movie. <laughs> there was definitely a point in that movie where there was almost a crisis in this house. <laughs> when they're on the on the little carts and the one goes into the place where they oh, yeah. the furnace. There was almost an incident. <laughs> Yeah. All I can think about, all I can think about when I saw that scene is the the prank video of Toy Story three, where the kids <laughs> edit it so the movie just ends when the toys are about to go in the incinerator and show it to their mom. <laughs> it's just the toys are about to get burned in a fucking trash incinerator and it fades to black and the credits roll. <laughs> you so got good. a friend in me. <laughs> it's so good. I, when that scene happened, I told you about the. I was next to I think an autistic guy or something. As soon as that looks like they go in the incinerator. 
incinerator. He just he was just like the boiling acid guy from uh, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, oh no. <laughs> like, I have nothing bad to say about the movie. I enjoyed my time with it, but it is it's just gone. If I hadn't logged on Letterboxd, I probably would have forgotten I watched it. Goodness gracious, I'm going to have to find something else to assign you. Sap. God fucking damn it. We like racist so, 1950s movies that are four hours long. Should, should we just pivot and just talk about Mission Impossible 3 through 5 now? Uh, I, I, yeah, why, why that's not? most of well, what uh, I watched Wait, can we, we also could. talk about 2? Because I know you talked about it last week, but I'd, I'd like to... Oh my god, that's right. I, that I'm, I'm I would like to, to hear everyone talk about Mission Impossible 2. Well, tell you what, I'll start things off. Let's talk about Mission Impossible 1 first. This should be really quick. It's one of the best thrillers of all time, right? Correct. Yeah, okay, I think we're all in agreement here. Uh, with Mission Impossible 2, uh, Alex, I think you really did nail it. It's where they're trying to make a James Bond movie, but it's also more so the fact that this is what John Woo thinks an American action movie is, and in that way it's defensible. To say it is the worst Mission Impossible movie, in a way, yeah. Like, at a technical level, this is extremely stupid. It's uh, It kind of loses its focus. It's there's a whole lot of really implausible things going on there it's it's ridiculous but it's so entertaining in all of this i think it's it's basically a good bad movie you know the pirouette that he does on that motorcycle even the (laughs) opening scene where it's like if you didn't want to call me on vacation how'd you get my number something stupid like that he throws away his glasses which explode and it's and his hair and everything they shoot the glasses with the rocket it's, Onto the cliff he just climbed. It is uh, hindsight really has special. been very kind to this. Yes, movie. absolutely, very very kind because like so much of what this movie did has become like comically tropey in action movies. Oh yeah, and now when you look back, it's like oh look here are all these funny things that I love to laugh at in action movies. But at the time, it's like oh oh no, what are they doing? And it's <laughs> endlessly parodiable. So uh, let's move on to Mission Impossible Three. Alex, I want you to go ahead and take the floor briefly for your thoughts on Mission Impossible Three. Alright, so, to give the the Cliff Notes versions of my thoughts on Mission Impossible 3, like, 90% of this movie is really, really fucking boring, which is hard to do for a Mission Impossible movie, because, you know, you have great actors and great stunts. And the other 10% of the movie is the times when Philip Seymour Hoffman is on screen talking, because holy shit, he is going for it in this movie. I'm not sure that I've ever seen another movie with, like, a more willfully evil bad guy like, other than, I don't know, like, Schindler's List or something. But, like, I, I can't think of any... Nothing comes to mind where somebody's just so nakedly evil while simultaneously, like, selling it charismatically and not just being, like, a cardboard cutout. And it's just one of those performances where it's, like... It's, it's rare that you see an actor take over what is ostensibly a bad movie in the way that Philip Seymour Hoffman does in Mission Impossible 3. And it's just... This is why this guy was a legend. You know, every single bad movie that I've seen, I think this goes almost without exception, has a heart to it. A, and when I say a heart, I mean like one actor who is very clearly trying or very clearly having fun with the role. And this one is fairly obvious. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, before I get to uh, my takes on it, Parker, what do you think about Mission Impossible 3? I mean, it's pretty much what Alex just said, honestly. Like, the movie's very boring. It's so overly emotional. And then we look back in the context of like, oh, this was like a year after he was jumping on Oprah's couch and they were scrambling like, 
how do we make him super likable? So uh, let's give him a... He's in love, you know? He, he loves women, and, you know, everything's going great. He's just a nice guy, really cool regular guy. Not a psychopath talking about postpartum depression. Just a cool regular dude. Okay. And it's just so fucking cheesy. I, I guess we have to talk about Tom Cruise first here, really quickly. Tom Cruise is really weird. Uh, he, is, he is a very, very bizarre gentleman, and it's... You know what? It's not just the Scientology thing. You saw that thing on Twitter, right, Parker, where it's like, has he ever actually seen a movie? Like, he, <laughs> so they were asking him, there are... what's your favorite recent movie that you've seen? And he couldn't give an answer. It was really, really weird. There are so many things he does, even in his movies, where, you know, his basically his craftsmanship is, like, never, ever, ever in doubt. Oh, yeah. But it's like... Tom Cruise has no idea how to act like a drunk person. Tom Cruise has no idea how to run in a straight line. And yet there's a scene in every Tom Cruise movie where he's just running. He's just, like, not a functional human being. And it's, like, it comes through in the weirdest, most bizarre ways. In scenes where any other actor in that exact situation would have some concept of what to do. And with Tom Cruise, it's just, like... Wait, well, this is this is how those people act when they're drunk, right? There's a fucking movie where he's a bartender and he has no idea what it's like to be drunk. Like, I, maybe it's not allowed by Scientology. Who knows? Uh, someone else pointed this out to me, but in every movie he has a love interest, and I can't remember the last time I saw him kiss someone on camera. It's the weirdest thing. Oh, I'm pretty he sure he does that in paired four with someone. or five. One of them. He, but the thing is, he just does it out of nowhere. I wasn't sure why he did it. <laughs> like in Fallout, he's just aggressively kissed and looks like he's been assaulted. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, Xanadu wouldn't approve so of this. Excuse me. Uh, I, let me tell you about Mission Impossible 3. I had known from you 2 that it was barely worth watching and barely worth talking about. There were some things I, I wanted to uh, say about how much I enjoyed it, and they mostly revolve around Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, he is fantastic, and it's the role, the way that he did it, was just so much different from how anyone else would have played it and how anyone else would have got away with it. There are certain things you have to do as an actor in order to win my praise, in order for me to call it a good performance, and he's able to do it in the strangest way. Like, it's it's like a wide receiver who runs his routes differently from everyone else. You shouldn't be able to mumble the entire movie and still be that menacing. And yet he's totally able to do it. It's not just the writing. Speaking of, I think the weakest parts of that movie, there, there are a bunch of things. Like you guys said, it's really boring and overly emotional, but I think it comes down to two things. One, the writing is awful. It is really, really, it got to be the worst in the series, even worse than two. And there's something about the score. The score is just, when I when I hear like a bad score, there's something about the way it was recorded. It sounds like the brass section is out of tune. The one thing they have going for is the bongos. Uh, so there's something going on with, with the score where it just sounds awful. Where's the score in Fallout? Sounds fantastic. It sounds like, okay, this is perfect. I'm not distracted by uh, how off this is. But I was I didn't even enjoy like the opening... Uh, the, the theme song or anything because it just sounds so wrong so I didn't like that I did kind of like the climax where he's helping his uh, wife out and giving her a gun to shoot like this you're gonna have to kill me and then revive me etc etc so th there were little things that I liked about it I don't even think it's a bad movie it's just not as interesting when compared to say the fourth movie Ghost Protocol which uh, oh man there's a lot of really good things to say about it. talk about a breath of fresh air yeah, that's the thing you have to realize with Ghost Protocol. Like, Mission Impossible was on the verge of just being a write-off franchise at this point. Right. Like, I mean, the movie, like, 2 and 3 made money, but, like, nobody had strong feelings about them. 
they were just kind of out there in the void. There wasn't really much to go on to move forward with, mm-hmm. and this was just like a kick in the ass. And all of the sudden, Mission Impossible's back, and it's just a blockbuster juggernaut again. I love that this whole theme of the movie is instead of James Bond having a million gadgets for every situation, they have gadgets and everything's fucked. Nothing works whatsoever. You just go from set piece to set piece like, oh Jesus, everything's broken. Oh God, we're gonna die. I guess I'll just do the thing that should probably kill me. I've been thinking about it a lot and I would put it like this. They're always given a mission and the mission seems impossible, but... They get it done anyway. That's all I had for it. Anyway, it's one of the things that's like, instead of James Bond, I think I like this. They're very, very different franchises, and I like some James Bond movies, and I like some Mission Impossible movies. I think one of the biggest things that differentiates the two is that this, he has a team, and teamwork is so critical to all of these movies. I know Ethan Hunt can do just about everything, but in every situation, he needs his team to help him along the way. Uh, so to take that point a step yeah. further about like the the big core differences between something like this and James Bond, there's a reluctance in everything that's going on in this movies from Ethan Hunt, where it's just like this is what I have to do. Okay, I guess that you will never <laughs> see in a James Bond movie. Like Bond is just up for everything at all times, and Ethan Hunt is basically the opposite. He's like up to everything or up for everything by default because no one else can do it and there's no other option. The other thing is uh, there's a sense of urgency I think with uh, these movies where it's like no I have to save the world I have to save the world I have to save the world whereas with James Bond it's like I'm gonna lounge around a bit I'm gonna you know maybe I'll drink a little bit I'll, I'll look at the camera every once in a while raise my eyebrow hook up with this woman. Th- those movies are so much more based on personality whereas Ethan Hunt doesn't have much of a personality besides he is the superhero but he doesn't need much of a personality also sticks up for his friends that's not really a personality trait but uh, that doesn't make this movie any weaker I'm still able to connect with the character mostly because he's played by an excellent actor so we move on to uh, Rogue Nation and I want to talk about some of the set pieces in this they all have very good set pieces but the set piece that really got me was the water scene uh, where he has to replace that drive or whatever oh man that, that was fairly incredible to watch yeah funny story uh tom cruise actually learned how to hold his breath underwater for like six i saw that i saw that in the trivia i was just like that is unbelievable god he's so good hey we have computers no (laughs) no i'm just gonna do it that he's so powerful that is that movie really is good i don't like it as much as four i don't know anyone who does like it as much as four but, uh, I prefer it to four, but it's close. Yeah, like they're both really they, good. They, I think as I watch them back to back, so it almost feels like a one A one B scenario. But I think the the scene in Dubai was just so much better, where he's climbing Mia Khalifa. Anyway, uh, nice, got yeah. it. But the opera scene, rest in peace, your titty. Scene. The opera scene, though, it's so good. Oh yeah, the opera scene is real good. God damn it! I wonder what. Can we just watch four, five, and six again and then come back? <laughs> Oh, if they marathon those, if they had like, uh, they did that with Lord of the Rings, right? Just put one of those, like, all back to back to back. I would not have a bad time with it. Oh, well, see, the thing is, like, we could watch all three of these movies in the time that it takes us to watch The Return of the King Director's Cut, so. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, Alex, what have you seen recently? 
Um, not a whole lot. I've been on vacation. I actually, right before we started recording, I got to see Silence of the Lambs in theaters, which was a pretty cool experience. Um, I realized about 30 minutes into that movie that I don't think I've ever seen the first 30 minutes of that movie. Whoa. And I noticed this primarily when Jodie Foster gets her face jizzed on by the dude in the prison cell. And I was like, wait, I didn't know that happened. What the fuck is this? Guys, I've been talking about this movie for 20 years. Did that just still come on her? Yeah. <laughs> Did she just get mixed? Like, like, I... It's one of those movies that it's so ingrained in our culture that you know the beats of it even if you haven't seen them. But also, like, holy shit, that night vision scene is intense. That's Even incredible. having seen it, like, seven times. It's one of my all-time favorite climaxes in movie history. Like, that movie it's is just... a top ten movie for me, I'm, I'm 100% sure. So, you're taking that over Taxi Driver and the Jodie Foster, like, what is the one Jodie Foster movie conversation? Uh, I don't remember what that one is, but yes, I'm absolutely taking it over Taxi Driver. And Same. whatever her other movie, this is one she won an Oscar for. She plays like a mentally handicapped woman or something, someone who grew up in the woods or something. Careful. I know what movie you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, that's the that was her called. Oscar bait one. That's when they started to talk about Oscar bait. So, other than that, I only saw a couple movies this week. Uh, we revisited our good friend Sasquatch. Um, <laughs> a little movie called Willow Creek, directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> this is a uh, found footage movie about a couple that goes out in the woods looking for Bigfoot. And this movie is 79 minutes long, and it could have been 29 minutes. Fucking nothing happens in this movie. They spend like 45 minutes just dicking around in the town, like looking at Bigfoot statues and doing dumb voices. And I can't tell if it's supposed to be endearing or if you're supposed to hate these people, because I certainly hated them. And then they go in the woods, and they're looking around. There's some spooky noises. Some spooky noises. There's a camera just on their faces for, like, ten minutes. Eventually a Bigfoot, like, pushes the tent a little bit. And then ten minutes later, they get killed off camera. It's real bad. Like, yeah, I've been actively... That's been on my to-watch list since it came out. And I've never heard enough good things to finally sit down and watch it. And uh, I think that's submitted it for me. I'm good. There we go. I mean, you guys know how passionate I feel about Sasquatch. You guys have seen my private uh, Instagram account with all of the Sasquatch uh, erotica. Glad that you're and bringing us to a national conversation. Thank you, by the way. We were hoping to go viral. Yeah. I, I try, guys. I try, guys. Once I'm, uh, once I'm perched in Congress and get to pass the women just want to fuck Sasquatch bill. <laughs> oh, it's going to put pickle stores on the map, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, I only watched one other movie this week, and it really taught me a valuable, valuable lesson. And that's that I got really lucky in seeing the couple good found footage movies that are out there, because all other found footage movies are trash, and I'm never watching another one. Correct. So, Parker, you've seen the first Grave Encounters movie, right? Yes. I have not, but I have now seen Grave Encounters 2. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I watched the second one first. That was a mistake. Yeah, so here's the thing. The reason that we ended up watching this movie is because it has a soundtrack that features Drowning Pool, Breaking Benjamin, Stone Sour, and Linkin Park. Jesus. And fucking none of those songs are in the movie. It's <laughs> apparently like, like an auxiliary soundtrack. I'm like sitting here hoping to see some like shitty horror shots like set to butt rock, and I got some shitty horror shots. And Did you like Zero butt rock. <laughs> Did you enjoy when the movie opened with YouTube reviewers talking about the first movie? 
I thought that was cute and kind of quaint, and then I realized that that was the whole plot of the movie. That's a central theme of the movie. It's like the guy from the first movie is in the house or whatever. Fuck, that movie sucked. God, it was bad. And, like, I was watching this, and it was starting to, like, get light outside, but I was already far enough in that I had to finish it. I was just sitting there completely miserable. Like, at least just play some butt rock so I can, like... Because it's just a bunch of lazy jump scares. I did not enjoy my time. And a with bunch it. of terrible, terrible CGI. Like, yeah. Oh my god. Just gosh. don't show me the ghosts if they look that bad. Yeah. Just nonstop lazy. Like, there's a place for jump scares. I don't prefer them, but if done well, they're fine. But it's just your typical long shot down a hallway, then something louder than anything else in your house appears and then disappears. Over there's a scene and over. where there's a ghost girl. And they, like, have a conversation with the ghost girl. And then the ghost girl's mouth gets real big and she, like, runs at them. Oh, like a jitter dare. Ta- yeah, I've, yeah, but, like, it looks worse. Oh, no. The one I remember most is, like, they're sitting there having a conversation. And then it jump cuts to a jump scare from the first movie that someone's watching on their laptop. And I was like, okay, fuck this. Never They again. just cut mid-conversation to a jump scare from a different movie. Never again will I be baited by found footage. And by You're probably again, fine. I mean, like, three weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I told you, like, I like found footage movies, and I would recommend, like, five at most to other people. I'm just so, realizing yeah. how fucking lucky I got with Hell House. Hell House is so good. You got that and Wreck, and then there's a couple yep. others sprinkled in there. But you're you're probably fine. We've been over this before, how you can't tell if it's bad until it's too late, because they all look the exact same. It's usually not worth the risk. That's real rough. You're going to get burned way more often than not. Okay, now let's talk about the ones that I saw. I only have two for you guys so far. Uh, I watched a three-hour 1954 Judy Garland movie called A Star is Born. Now, I don't, That's like, a bingo. I don't like this quite as much as Shit. the 1937 <laughs> version of A Star is Born, but I like it more than the 1976 version of A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand. Uh... On a, on a serious note, this movie is a masterpiece. This is one of the best musicals ever made in Judy Garland. What a fucking star. What an unbelievable entertainer. She was just... Like, everyone talks about the great actresses of that era, and a lot of them sort of... They kind of blend together. A lot, much like a lot of actresses these days, where it's just a beautiful woman who is able to act sultry. And it's just like, yeah, but what else she, can she do? Judy Garland goes through the entire gamut of emotions in this movie. She's doing so many different things, and she's trying so hard. And she was also going through uh, substance abuse problems during this. So it was really difficult for her, and she's just such a good singer. And then we get to a song where she's uh you know she's really famous and she uh plays it on the record she's like oh well i'll mimic it i'm like what could possibly go wrong (sighs) parker remember in on the town where they go to that museum of natural history literally every time you mention a musical i just just wait (laughs) that's what i imagine is a bunch of white people dancing around in tribal masks well, the good news is this one isn't anywhere near as bad. Um, th- there's one where it's like I mean, they play like a Chinese song, and she puts a lampshade on her head, and I was like, 
Oh, yeah, like the hats they wear in the rice fields. Okay. Yeah. They really knew how to make them back yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, uh, I was just like, oh, hopefully this will be quick. I'm like looking at my watch, waiting for it to go away. And then I'm like, oh, thank God it's over. And then I just hear drums. I'm like, oh, no. And she's like, and then I went to Africa. I was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Fuck she no. goes off screen. I'm waiting for the blackface. And... Uh, actually wasn't racist she uh is just using like the leopard skin like very tastefully done. yeah it, no actually this one again it wasn't racist this one was not racist uh she just put like her leopard skin over so it was just like she's talking about the animals not like uh the people thank god actually there's a really nice scene in the movie where uh she's she's making the movie and she gets to play with two little uh black kids and it's it's actually kind of nice oh uh so <laughs> That, that, that was, like, kind of, I don't know, I, th- I thought it was uh, kind of cute. It's, like, it's a really good movie. It's incredibly tragic. Uh, this is, I know you don't want to sit through a three-hour movie. This was restored, too, so some of it was just, like, stills. But uh, this is a fantastic movie, one of the best ever made. And then I watched a black-and-white 1941 movie called Never Give a Sucker an Even Break uh, by W.C. Fields. I th- guys... Have you ever heard of this website called ActionButton.net? That sounds familiar. It's, uh, no, it, I can't it, say it that It I was have. a video game review site I used to read. It was the only one I ever read because they used to have these really, really long reviews and they were really well written. And they have, uh, they have a certain amount of influence in the way that I write. That's one of the reasons I write so much is uh, because their reviews were so long. I really liked it because they went into all this detail. They went off the rails sometimes, but I liked it. Anyway, one of the things that they wrote about is they considered some of the best games of all time to be the ones that were made by just one person. And their idea here is it was like a cave story or out of this world and the idea here is that if just one person does it then it ends up the way just one person wants and that is enough for it to be basically a perfect game i don't know if there is such a thing as a perfect movie and there is no movie that is ever really the creation of just one person but this movie was made almost exactly the way that wc fields wanted it to and it is not like almost any other comedy it goes off the rails in a number of parts it's not just a series of vignettes it's like how would we make a movie there are a lot of scenes that don't go together there are a lot of comedy scenes that simply do not work overall you're kind of left in awe just by the way that it was made or like this is one man's vision and this is the way that he wanted it and unfortunately it's his last starring role but uh there are a couple of really really good scenes and you start to wonder it's like geez he would have been just as funny today as he was back then i I know like the way that he talks and everything is different but uh i i had a really good time watching it i think my favorite line is uh some woman is calling him a drunkard and a louse and all this other stuff and she said that one of these days he'll drown in a whiskey barrel to which he happily responds death where is thy sting (laughs) so uh i like this it also had margaret dumont from the marx brothers movies shut up it's better when he does it it's god i just need him to say rob ninkovich so i can win (laughs) i've been edging for 45 minutes (laughs) waiting waiting for rob ninkovich to just uh (laughs) knock loose a fumble so so uh cam can talk about how he sucked in new orleans Uh, (laughs) don't try and deflect it won't work no, he was bad on the Saints for literally no reason. And <laughs> <laughs> your Bigfoot no reason jokes. <laughs> those were. <laughs> oh, those were powerful. <laughs> I'm literally almost not as, mad. <laughs> almost as powerful as the Squatch who is taking our women. <laughs> okay, guys, are you ready to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout? 
I have like five more movies to go. Yeah, I was gonna say like. Oh geez, did I just cut you off? I I seriously thought you were done. You were just silent there. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Parker. Buddy. So, which of the three Godzilla movies do you want me to start with? Uh, let's go chronological. All right. So first, well, two of them I don't have much to say about, but one I have many things to tell you about. So the first one is Godzilla vs. Biollante. It's fine. It has a really cool monster design, and it's just this massive fucking plant monster that took 20 people to operate, and it's this giant, ungodly, feed-me-see-more abomination, and it's good. <laughs> like, never Godzilla fought the bad guy in The Happening? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Godzilla was sitting in a car trying to get his daughter to do math problems. <laughs> okay. We need to talk about Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. I'm only going to tell you about the first act of the movie. Now, in this movie, we find out that Godzilla was based off of a Godzillasaurus who helped the Japanese in World War II. Oh. Ah, yes. Didn't help them enough. So aliens come in, and they pick up some Japanese people, and they take them back in time to World War II to see the brave Japanese soldier standing up to the American menace with the help of a giant dinosaur. (laughs) The Americans proceed to bomb the shit out of it. And it's just laying there. And then we find out it's playing possum, and it murders all of the American soldiers. Oh, like the insult raptor. Yes, I'm okay just pausing this podcast right now so I can go watch this. It's in my life. And that's all I'm going to tell you about it. That's the first act. That's all you need to know. Oh, God, yes. Then after that, I watched Godzilla vs. Mothra, which came after it, and uh, the 90s version, and... uh, yeah, I read in the trivia that this was not going to be a Godzilla movie, but they needed to make more money, so they wrote him in afterwards. And it shows, because he has nothing to do in it. It's all about Mothra and Batra, and no one could possibly care. Chris, you made me watch Sidekicks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, you said I was going to watch a movie. What you showed me was, was an hour of a kid daydreaming that he was with Chuck Norris, and then a 30-minute karate competition with a screaming ripped Joe Piscopo. <laughs> so I have a question for okay, you. Okay, go ahead. Why this movie? Don't worry about it. Uh, it's uh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. You will tell me. Because we had just talked about how big of a bummer Last Action Hero was. And they had this shitty kid psychic. And then I turn on sidekicks. <laughs> I think that... And imagine my surprise... When it's just a child wishing he was in a Chuck Norris movie. No, I, I think that had something to Thanks. do with it. I had seen this movie a while ago uh, on, on my own uh, decision. See, I think Jonathan Brandis was a really what? good actor. I think he was a little bit underappreciated, and uh, tragically, he ended up taking his own life. Um, one of the things that I feel about Sidekicks is that it is a god-awful movie. There is almost nothing right yeah. about it. Yeah. The thing that I do like about it is a lot of the performances are at least pretty good. I think Bo Bridges is actually pretty decent in it. Chuck Norris has never known how to act, but that's fine enough by me. Uh, Jonathan Brandis gives a decent performance at worst. You got Winnie from the Wonder Years or whatever. I don't. I don't care about her. Joe Piscopo is entertainingly psychotic. He is screaming uh, the entire movie. Yeah. Julia Nixon is like a treat to watch as usual. Uh, but I think I was just thinking about all the different scenarios that they have in the movie where he fucking, like the dream sequence where they're both cowboys or something like that. 
Look, dude, I was a daydreamer. I think we all were, you know. Math class isn't exactly the most entertaining thing in the world, but it's basically Doug takes a Taekwondo class. I could have watched Jack Reacher to prep for this episode, and he made me watch this I fucking asthmatic dipshit. Shut up! <laughs> By the way, it was real fun digging through the IMDb trivia for it and seeing... It was the brainchild of well-known furniture outlet owner in partnership with Chuck Norris and his kick drugs out of schools campaign. It was really well-known as, like, it was directed by Chuck Norris's brother, obviously. And uh, it just, you could tell that his brother was desperate to make a movie. It's like, Chuck, Chuck, you gotta help me out. And Chuck was like, well, all right, I guess I can help you. Now, this isn't even the worst Chuck Norris movie I've seen. The worst one I've seen is Forest Warrior. That movie fucking sucks. That doesn't sound real. That's... Oh. That's oh, you, oh, wait, you're doubting the veracity of the movies that I picked? Jim Mattress <laughs> Mac- Mackinville produced and invested $8 million. It has believed his relationship with Chuck Norris, who starred in many commercials with Mac, came to him with the idea of creating it. I... This fucking guy who sells mattresses in Houston, Texas, tricked Chuck Norris into making this kid's movie. Now, you say that, but was it a, a, a guy... No, wait, it was a fertilizer salesman who made Manos the Hands of Fate. <laughs> That's, you know what? It's a push. We're going to say it's a push. It's a push? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have... Well, I actually have three things. Oh, okay. One, okay, I'll be brief with this. Okay, so cool. I watched The Gate, which is an 80s horror movie. Yeah, shocker. And you can put it right next to Monster Squad. And uh, boy, if I was born a kid in the 80s, I'd probably really love this movie. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't. Oh. And I watched it as an adult. And I hated it. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. I watched the first three episodes of Castle Rock, the new Stephen King, J.J. Abrams thing. Oh, Castle Rock. Okay, look. It's good so far, but my biggest concern was I see J.J. Abrams' name. Is this going to be seven seasons and no one knows how it's ending? But thank you, base God, each season is a different story. So no matter what happens, when the season's over, there will be an ending. Will it be good? Who knows? Do, is the ending something we really want from anything that Stephen King is attached to? Uh, mm, <laughs> Look, that's a good point. I feel like I'd rather have J.J. Abrams bullshit than anything Stephen King comes up with. We, we have to know. It's like every once in a while the Stephen King ending gets changed, and it's almost always for the better. Think about uh, The Shining, The Mist. You know, whenever the ending gets changed, it's usually for the best. Except I'll give, I'll give a pass to Stand By Me. That ending was left intact, and it's perfect the way that it is. It's basically just taking, like, Stephen King iconography and locations and then someone else writing an original story about it. So, you know, he gets his paychecks. That's all that matters. The last thing I watch. Hashtag Squatch Watch is back, baby. Because I watched a movie called Primal Rage Bigfoot Reborn. I almost watched this. Fucking buckle up because I have some things to describe to you. So this is director Patrick McGee's debut who's been a special effects guy for like 20 years. So basically this dude just took all of his resources and experience to make an absurdly violent Bigfoot movie. I mean, now I'm gonna is tell there a better the use top. of your money? It starts really slow, and the ending's a letdown, but that middle hour has so much Squatch violence. I have compiled a list for you. Okay, so by the way, this movie starts with a guy getting out of prison. And he's with his girlfriend, they're all lovey-dovey, and then they pull over to fuck, and then he comes, like, immediately, and then they hate each other the rest of the opening. She just won't acknowledge him because he made cumsies immediately after getting out of prison. So that's how we start with our main characters. This Sasquatch wears 
like a fucking skull on its face as a mask and uses a bow and arrow. <laughs> so the first guy gets the good old fashioned fingers in the eyes and skull crush into jelly. Let's see here. <laughs> There's a scene where, like, of course they encounter a bunch of hicks, and they're all standing around, and all the hicks are laughing, like, yeah, the convict! And then you just hear, whoop, and then a guy drops, like, a sack of shit, and there's an arrow in his mouth. There's two people hiding from Sasquatch, like, underneath a log. And then from the top of the screen, two giant furry hands grab him by the head, <laughs> pull him up, get both hands in his mouth, and rip his jaw apart. Ooh. That guy is still alive, just crawling around, bleeding, whimpering, and crying. Sasquatch goes and finds the woman he's looking for, throws her up on his shoulder, starts walking back, walks up to that dude still crawling around, then stomps his head like a grape. So, it is have you seen more in- Sasquatch movies than Godzilla movies? I don't need to answer that. <laughs> but here's the problem. Everything's going great. Like, this is a solid recommend. And then Sasquatch rapes a girl. It's like, okay, I'll fucking need this in my movie. Thanks for nothing. It's a real bummer. <laughs> Basically, the middle hour is real good. And then you can probably stop after there. Because the ending just loses all of its steam. Like, first of all, I don't... You don't see anything, but I don't need to imagine Bigfoot raping a woman. And then at that point on, it's just a, all the air gets let out of it. And then it ends exactly how you think it will. So it's it ended on a real bummer, but that middle is fucking chef kiss. It's it's so wonderful. Beautiful. Not the strongest recommend like I thought it was gonna be. Like I was ready to start fucking singing its praises, but you should absolutely still seek it out like I know you're going to. It's already It is so fucking violent. <laughs> it's already downloading the dude. Thank you, Base God. Alright, that's it for me. I could not let the world know. They had to know about Primal Rage, <laughs> comma, Bigfoot Reborn. <laughs> Bigfoot Reborn. All right, oh. let's talk about Fallout. Okay, let's talk about Fallout. So, uh, now, I've had all the hype build up for me. Uh, Alex, you were the one who told me the best action movie since Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I believe you're quoting from a review that you read somewhere. Uh, Several reviews actually that all said the same thing, that's, and that's when I—that's when I started to get a little boner for this movie. Yeah, see that—that that is extremely high praise. So I have to admit, for the first act, I was kind of in that sort of a, okay movie. Go ahead, impress me, and I, I wonder where did the movie really grab you guys? Because I'm going to go first here. For the most part, it was like, okay, this is a Mission Impossible movie. There's Tom Cruise, there's Wing Rabes, there's Simon Pegg, who looks like Larry King when he's wearing his glasses and suspenders. But, uh... <laughs> no, I, I swear to God, he so looked like uh, Larry King. <laughs> I was just waiting for him to just do a voice or something. But uh, the scene that really got me, that where I really knew that this was going to be something special, was the bathroom fight scene. It's so good. Oh, I was I was in before this. I was in in the Halo jump scene. Like oh yeah, like I, was locked I in there. like it, there's always a little bit of a build up when you come back into a movie with an ensemble cast like this because you have to throw some bones to the people that don't like know the established characters. Like here's Alec Baldwin for two scenes, so you can remember who he is. Here's Angela Bassett and Bad Superman, and they're here, <laughs> and you need all that build up. I thought the. Uh, 
the second scene when they do the uh the like the fake interrogation of the guy in the hospital that is such a mission impossible scene and like <laughs> that made me just happy to be back in the mission impossible world That's a good even point. like the scene wasn't really doing much just, it works because you know, you... tom cruise is so hammy in it and he realized like oh he's supposed to be yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that was one of the yeah, ones and where then, uh, my sister has never yeah, seen that was, and she thought that scene was when, really cool. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, when that started, like I was like, oh no. Because like, instantly my brain went back to Jack Reacher 2, which, by the way, we shouldn't have gone back. Never. Like, never, ever go back. ever go back. And I got really scared for a minute. And then I realized that like the tease in the trailers about stuff getting destroyed was just like a gimmick to uh, set up this dude cranking himself. <laughs> It's and at that point, I was like, I was like, all right, I, I now trust the movie, but I'm still waiting for the movie to win me over. And then the sound drops out when the lightning hits them when they're parachuting through the air. And the, like half the theater, you just hear people like turning to the person next to them saying, holy shit. And then at, at that point, I am 100% in the movie's hands and I will go with it wherever it takes me. I, Samesies, absolutely. Yeah. Like that scene was incredible, and then going right into the bathroom scene is like, oh, this movie could end now when it's five stars. Like I'm good. I think we talked off mic, and then there's still like an hour and a half left. I think we talked so off mic for talk like a about how bit that... about the Halo jump scene where he does get hit by the lightning. It's the fact that it happens so fast, and it's such a boom, and he's out. This is one of the ones where the movie uses the economy of sound uh, really, really well. The, the sound design, I mean, you're right, Alex, this is going to win the Academy Award for Best Sound Design. If it doesn't, then we should burn down Hollywood. Exactly. I, I feel like part of what makes that scene so effective, and what makes a lot of things in this movie so effective, is there's a real will-they-won't-they they effect with this movie, where... I feel like it's a movie that you know ultimately what's going to happen, but how you get there could basically be in any direction possible. I, there's another scene that I'm going to talk about this with later, where you sit there and like it pauses for a couple beats and you're like, they didn't do that, did they? And I think the movie is just really good at subverting your expectations, even when it does exactly the thing you expect it to do. And that's just credit to fucking everyone involved yeah there there are a couple scenes in that and when i talk about the economy of sound that's one thing it's very rarely done but one of the things that other movies do and this movie does better than almost any movie i've ever seen is economy of shots and the way that they shoot things they'll they'll zoom in on one person's hand and it's not the hand you're thinking about or they'll show this thing in the background but it's not exactly what you were expecting and the movie does it so well it does it quickly it doesn't linger on this stuff it gives you enough to like shock you to be like wait did that happen okay no it didn't i thought that this was going to happen and it does that in such a way to really keep up the intensity this is a thriller before it is an action movie and you are thrilled the entire time one note on that bathroom scene which i'm sure we're going to talk about more mm -hmm. can i just like shout out that asian dude who was plausibly beating up two of our biggest action stars in the same in like one scene yeah, who is that guy completely say i i need to see him in other things oh yeah like that dude that dude whoever in the any fuck other he franchise is. that's Jet Li, and you know like okay we're about to get a cool fight scene there was zero expectation of what was going to follow. Like, I, I, I knew there was going no to be idea. a fight scene in a bathroom. We have all seen that gif on the internet of Henry Cavill just, like, you know, throwing down his arms and he grows the beard in the pocket and everything. And we were all ready to laugh for that, but I didn't know that he was going to kick both their asses at the same time. 
More importantly, shout out to the guy in my theater where every time someone landed a hit, he went, <laughs> in that entire fight scene. Oh, dude, my, my best dad would have wanted to him. meet you. <laughs> he was so hyped to watch Superman beat the dog shit out of that guy. And then his brains just get splattered. <laughs> That's one of the things I want to talk about with this movie is, you guys know I like my old movies. One of the things that the Mission Impossible movies do so well and so much better than a whole lot of other PG-13 movies is that I feel like a lot of these movies you could take and you could transplant them and put them back in the early 60s or the mid-50s or whatever and they would still be as good as a lot of those other movies in this sort of way. There are a lot of movies that came out during that era that are very clearly intended for a more adult audience. And kids can still watch them because they don't have as many obscenities, they don't have blood and gore, they blah, 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 blah. Whereas in this... You don't need to see this guy's head get turned into an exploding watermelon. You just already have the idea. As soon as that woman says, uh, oh, I, you're, you're going to need his head to make a mask, he's like, yeah, I don't have his head because like, it's splattered all over the walls. That is enough to give you the effect here. Uh, they, there's a scene, I think, uh, later on where it's, it's uh, I think it's actually the climax of the movie where he gets hit by the hook in the forehead where you're just like, oh, I don't need to see that thing go into his skull. I just already know that's going to leave a mark. It cut just at the right time where you know exactly what happened. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think to, the movie's great at that. To take that point a point further about uh, how this movie could be basically thrown back in time and still work then... That nosebleed gag feels like it's straight out of 1965, and it worked so <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that was... I, I was so delighted when that's the way they went with it. You brought it up earlier with... When we were talking about the other movies, about how in a lot of these movies, shit goes wrong, and you see them, like, trying to figure out what they're gonna do, and, like, there's a lot of improvisation and just on-the-spot thinking, and stuff like that, I feel like, is what gives these movies their charm. And that scene in itself just made me so happy. That, that scene is a very Mission Impossible moment. This is a Mission Impossible movie that feels like a Mission Impossible movie. People would say, well, yeah, Chris, it's in the title, Learn How to Read. But, like, when at least a third of this series does not feel like a Mission Impossible movie, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's something of an importance here. Like, uh, think about uh, the scene where, like, obviously the, the hospital interrogation scene, I thought that was excellently done. Although, Wolf Blitzer... Really? That's, uh, <laughs> I was laughing so fucking hard. That's, uh, that's the one we went with here. You, you couldn't spring for uh, who's the liberal guy on Fox News that all, all their all their viewers hate? Shep Smith, uh, Paul Watson. <laughs> oh my God! If they had got Paul Joseph Watson, <laughs> well, imagine my shock when three nuclear blasts went off. <laughs> God, Alex Jones would have done that cameo, no questions asked, hundred percent of the time. <laughs> he would have demanded Ethan Hunt turn over the plutonium. <laughs> Oh my god, you imagine how well he'd get along with Tom Cruise? Imagine Tom Cruise on his radio program. They would be the best of friends. They'd be chums. I would listen he would to give that every day. so many secrets. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> he would 100% convert Alex Jones to Scientology within 45 minutes. Oh yeah. Now, I have to think about this. As we talk about uh, people really getting inside of their roles, and obviously Tom Cruise does that. Like, when you learn 
that he was able to pilot the helicopter and indeed does do that in the movie, that's really incredible stuff. It's like that makes the movie so much cooler because, you know, there is a real danger of him dying. I, I think about everyone knows the scene because we're all waiting for it. And Alex, you talked about like some your expectations when he's running on the rooftops and he makes that jump where we're like, okay, okay, we know he broke his ankle, right? Okay, it's going to really hurt. It's going to be really tough. And he makes it. We're like, oh, they're saving it for later. We were all just tensed up and we could like feel the theater. And when he jumps and he slams into that wall, everyone in the theater goes, oh. And we're just like, we can all feel it. Now, I mention this because I wonder who is better at, uh, at getting really deep into their roles. Is it Tom Cruise or is it Daniel Day-Lewis? And I want to use the challenge here. Uh, I saw as uh, one of my trailers before the movie, the Ryan Gosling Goes to the Moon uh, trailer. Oh, and God, me too. If, oh, I didn't get that one. Oh, it's that that one actually looks good. So I'm probably going to see that. That looks. I'll take your word that, for it. Well, excuse I mean, me for watching. I didn't... probably going to win a couple of Oscars. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is if you had uh, if you had Daniel Day Lewis playing Neil Armstrong and Tom Cruise playing Neil Armstrong, which one of them goes to the moon first in real life to really get inside their character? I don't believe that Tom Cruise hasn't already been to the movie. Well, it's called so it's, it's, it's in play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know which is better, but I know which one I prefer to watch 100% of the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis like, oh, I'm going to go learn how to cobble shoes. Tom Cruise like, I'm going to learn how to do halo jumps for a year. Yeah, we're going to do this a hundred times. We have two minutes to get this shot right. Otherwise, we have to come back and do it tomorrow and spend another 20 grand on the plane. Like... <laughs> Which, to be fair, he could probably afford that, but either way. But, you know, it really is a lot better when you know that's actually him. That's not just some expendable stunt guy that they were going to give three seconds in the credits saying, in loving memory of. (laughs) It's just, I'm, I feel, I feel like I'm being rewarded for going to this movie. And that's, like, a weird way to describe going to see something that's supposed to be Weird way to describe giving a lot of your money to the Church of Scientology, to be sure. Yeah. They yeah, I don't feel Sorry. bad. Yeah, I was so entertained. I mean, when ninety percent of movies you see in with, okay, and then the CGI battle happens, or every scene in this movie, we're like, well, he could have died there. Fucking there. with with the he exception, probably should have died there. With the exception of the helicopter crash, everything in this movie looks real. And you know like, he would have done it if they would have let him. Exactly. You know like, what? Tom, I'll, we I'll cannot crash two helicopters. helicopters. I'll defend the helicopter no, crash. No, I'm not even I'm not even knocking the helicopter crash. I'm saying that this it looks like there was zero CGI in this movie except for that part. Like absolutely nothing. You could tell me the entire thing was practical effects and I would believe you. I yeah, that's see that's the thing that makes it so much fun for me is uh, that scene in particular the way that it's filmed uh, where you're in the cockpit with him the whole way, it makes it feel like it's happening to you. It makes you feel like you're a part so of the movie. Good. It's it's great at uh, really immersing the viewer. You feel like you're along for the ride. And this feels like something that you would put on like the, the DVD cover or something. It's like, you feel like you're along for the ride with Tom Cruise. It's like, no, no, no. Like, really. This is like the way that I describe, uh, what's that Batman game? Uh, Arkham Asylum. Whenever I would describe it to people, it's like, yeah, it's really good. They're like, oh, what do you do? It's like, you get to be Batman man it's like yeah we well, get to be batman in other movies it's like no 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 no. you get to be batman and that's the same thing that goes with it uh, for here it's not like oh you're along for the ride with steven seagal no 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 you feel like you're part of the movie yeah you're not wrong about that like it feels just so visceral like everything that's happening in this movie 
I just feel like I can reach out and touch, like, everything that's going on. Even the parts that are, like, kind of schlocky, like when his parachute gets caught in the roof of the building. Like, it just all feels real and well put together. It's earned it after that entire sequence. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, that single shot of them jumping out of the plane. I... I just want to pick it apart for hours. It's so fucking... I think my favorite part about that scene is when he walks to the edge, you're like, oh my god, that's Tom Cruise, he's really going to jump out of the plane. Then he turns back, and he goes back, and you're like, oh my god, you are teasing me right now. This movie is really good at teasing you. And then they fucking land, and Henry Cavill looks at him and goes, hey, you lost your oxygen. (laughs) Oh, you lost your oxygen! Everything about it, everything about it, like... so good. Every beat of that scene is just perfect. I gotta... Alright, I'll say it now. I do have a criticism of this movie. Uh, my criticism... Well, it's not the easy one that Alec Baldwin sucks. God, I, I do not have any affinity for Alec uh, Baldwin. I... Them's, them's fighting words. What, in this movie? That role is everything that Kurt Russell in Fast and the Furious should be. It's... Look, no, okay, that's, that's such a fair. I just cannot stand Alec Baldwin. This it's mostly because he's distracting. He doesn't. Everyone else feels like this is uh, their character, whereas that feels like Alec Baldwin is shouting in another movie again. And I, I do not like him in this. Uh, but it's not so much that it's distracting. He's in the movie for what four minutes total, so it's fine. I, he has like three. Scenes. I did like the scene stabbed, where he, uh, where he gets the gun <laughs> and he turns it on that guy. He says, "Oh, this one's loaded. Want to check?" I, I I like that. That one uh, that one made yeah. me smile. Everything else. The nerve like, of this movie to show Alec Baldwin beating up Henry Cavill. How <laughs> fucking dare <laughs> you! <laughs> the nerve. Look, you can kill me off, but I gotta get like three good ones. <laughs> I, I he can get me, but I gotta get him twice. I uh, my problem with this movie is actually Henry Cavill. Um, I had a feeling you were gonna say that. Now, Alex, I, I've got. Uh, I have a way to describe a performance that I like, and not just a performance that I like, because like I'll, I, I like Bruce Campbell performances that I like, and then I know that's not a really good performance. But the basically a way that I will define a good performance is you got to do three things: you have to emote, you have to connect, and you have to be credible. And that's what makes uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in Mission Impossible 3 so difficult. The fact that he's able to connect while barely emoting and still be credible by the end of it is fairly incredible. Uh, Fairly amazing would be a better word. Uh, But in this, Henry Cavill, right away, uh, if he is emoting, he does it very seldom. A lot of it is just, I'm using my Superman voice. I do not care. Uh, As far as connecting... Uh, not particularly. I do not feel like he is as much a part of this movie as anyone else is in it. Like, why is, uh, what, what was, uh, Sloane's name? What, what, what was her actress again? Sloane was the head of the FBI, the, uh, African-American woman. Uh, oh, Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett, thank you, yeah. yeah. I, I, she was in the movie for a total of two and a half minutes, and I felt like she was, uh, able to connect better. But the final, uh, quandary here, uh, Be Credible... I, I did not find him credible. I did not look at him and say, yeah, he looks like a member of the CIA. It's not just like looking at him. God, he needed a comb. Just get him a comb of some sort or a brush or a hat. But you know what? I, I simply could not find him credible in the role. I, he did not feel like uh, a character. He felt like a big burly actor playing a role. And it was distracting. I felt this way about his uh, about his roles in all the DC movies, too. 
uh, he was the one thing that sort of brought it down. And he's not the villain. He is one of the villains. I guess we should put a spoiler warning at the beginning of the movie. Or at the beginning of the episode. If you haven't seen this, go fuck yourself. No, they're, 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 <laughs> okay, Iron Sheik over here. But uh, it's... I, I think that uh, he's, he is a bit of a letdown in the sense that he could have been much better. I don't know that I would call him bad. I would call him a bad actor. I, I'll definitely say that. I, I, I don't care. But uh, so, so I went through a similar thought process during the movie, and about an hour in, it kind of clicked for me. So allow me to defend it for two seconds. For and I'm not saying I'm right about this, and part of this is just my like oh, unshaking oh. trust in the movie. Oh, yeah. But... Okay, so we see him in the first scene where they're at Andrews, and then like when he's on the plane with Tom Cruise, and he's like almost doing like a Gregory Peck thing, and it's like like he's he's like he has like a weird sort of not his accent accent, and he's like trying to be very professional, and then you have the jump scene, and he's just kind of like a bro douche, and he's like aping a Gronkowski brother or something, mm-hmm. and then you have him meet up with the like the agency people again, and he's like very stiff and rigid. And I was like, what the fuck is he going for? I don't get it. And then it clicked that we literally saw it happen when we saw weird Tom Cruise in the first scene where they were doing an act. It's like, oh, he's this guy who has to wear like seven different masks. And this is him trying to figure out which mask to put on in which scene. This is him being a spy. And at that point, I was into the rest of the performance. I think that you are far more credulous about this than I would be. Um... I, I just feel, felt like he couldn't really pick anything. And that's the thing is, one of the things that made it almost a flaw for the movie here is like, people believe this guy? I, I didn't find him a good actor in the movie, and I don't find him, I didn't find his character to be a good actor. Like, one of the scenes I thought was awfully bizarre was uh, when he's uh, he's got the bad guy confronted and he reveals who he is. He reveals the twist of the movie. And my sister puts both hands over her mouth to gas because this is her first Mission Impossible movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just like... A rogue agent? Yeah, what? Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, then he turns his gun on uh, Alec Baldwin and, fi- and fires multiple times. I chuckled. That's a good scene. And then he still tries to plead his case and say, no, Ethan Hunt is the bad guy. I was like... Why would I trust you? You just tried to kill me. So it's just, I think that he was uh, not a very good actor, both in the movie and his character was not a very good actor. Again, I, when I don't have that credibility there, I think that separates me from the performance somewhat. Parker, we've run over you a bit here. What are your thoughts on the big mustache man? I think his jaw is big and strong, and he can hold me and keep me safe, and I wouldn't melt in his arms, and he's my dad, and he's real, and he's my friend. I I don't mean, I didn't have a problem with that scene, because when you realize, like, oh, he doesn't care if Alec Baldwin believes him, because he has guys there with guns where all he has to do is say go, and then they murder everyone. I know, but he he might as well do something for the audience there. I mean, there are a couple couple moments throughout this series where you know, like, everything's going to be okay because of this, that, or the other. There are a couple moments in the movie like that. Think about, like, uh, think about the way that that uh, scene is, because it's a lot of it is misdirection. Like, you think it's someone else, but someone wearing a mask or something like that. They still try in those scenes, and I think they try a lot harder than Henry Cavill did, or Cavill. We're going to pronounce it like a a million different ways. When I say Cavill, I'm reminded of the the chipmunk saying... uh, Dave Cavill. <laughs> but about that mustache. I didn't have any problems believing him because they make it pre- pretty clear early on, like, oh, you just murder everyone they send you after. <laughs> and I look at him and go, yeah, uh, I can see yeah, him. I, actually, I have to admit, at first he seemed 
almost clumsy. That was the movie doing most of the hen- of the heavy lifting. Less him seeing like, oh, I'm just a clod who beats people with laptops. I was like, no, no, no. I think that's just the movie. He <laughs> dented that, that dude's fucking head. <laughs> it's so good. Like, I see him and then actually see him go, yeah, I could see him just being deployed just to beat people to death. Uh, before like, we yeah, talk about how it. handsome he is, because we have to, uh, yeah. this is one of the ones where I was almost in danger. I purposely avoided reviews because, he, again, like the Krampus debacle, once I get like clued into how a movie I think it's going to be, I could be in a lot of trouble. It's kind of like... Uh, what was that uh, Clickle article about the guy sees a, a, a cashier and he's already developed a personality for her? That's the way I am with movies sometimes, <laughs> where it's like, I see the wrong thing. I read a single snippet of the movie that said Henry Cavill plays a roided up super soldier. He doesn't. <laughs> that is not his character. It's probably who he is in real life. But, uh, yeah, I, the entire time when I was going through the... Um, the bathroom fight scene, I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense that he could just throw this guy through a pillar. And then through the rest of the movie, I was like, oh no, he's just a naughty, naughty man. Yeah, one thing I will say about that casting, like regardless of his acting chops, I think this is the first time that I've ever seen a Tom Cruise movie where a dude walks in and you're just like, oh, that dude could just kick Tom Cruise's ass. That's a good point, yeah. Like, yeah that's and Well, the thing is, you also brought up that the Chinese guy in the in the bathroom scene, him kicking both their asses, I, I wanted to like lean over to my sister and be like, look, the fact that he's able to take Tom Cruise means this is definitely a guy to watch out for. Yeah. One of the things that works so well about this movie is there's so many scenes where Tom Cruise just kind of looks like, fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> he just beat the shit out of me. I thought I was going to jab him with the needle. What the fuck was that? See, Alex, this is what I'm talking about with emoting, connecting, in, and being credible. Is that uh, Cruise is excellent at emoting. We've seen that. Unless he's pretending he's to be... He's the master. Unless he's pretending to be drunk. And he immediately connects. I mean, how could you look at him and not connect? And the credibility in every single movie I've seen him in, he seems like he is that character. That's the thing, is when I was watching A Few Good Men, I thought he was actually a lawyer. I thought he actually went to law school for that movie, because that is how credible he is in there. But then that's the thing, is like, if you do all three of those, fine, you did an adequate job. What uh, puts Tom Cruise over the top is just the unbelievable charisma. It's like, it is unfair to compare almost any performance to what he does, because that charisma is just, I mean, chef's kiss right there. He's, he's in a league of his own when it comes to that. And I think of that a lot of this a lot of this argument we're having about Henry Cavill is brought about by the fact that he's playing opposite Tom Cruise. Like, how the fuck do you compete with that? Like, honestly, yeah, I mean, who, who, who do you put in that role that's, like, gonna punch at Tom Cruise's level, acting-wise? The one guy, and right. I've, I've been maintaining this for a while, is if they really... Jeremy Renner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we kind of talk about him for a second, don't we? Uh, but actually, I think Mel Gibson is in the very much in very much the same league, because I've been on this Mel Gibson train for about as long as you've been on a Tom Cruise train. Obviously, they cannot do the same level of action stunts. Mel Gibson is... Oh my god, he's probably the same age as what whatever. But uh Yeah. 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 Actually no. Fucking Mel- Tom Cruise is fifty seven. Actually, I I think he's fifty six. Whatever, it's not important. Um uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Excuse him. Uh actually <laughs> I I mean I mean we can go ahead and look this up if you want, buddy. Okay, you wanna put a movie bet on it? <laughs> Alex, do you wanna put a movie bet on it? Uh we can't. Okay, I just looked it up. I'm right. You're wrong. 
So <laughs> I don't believe you. So I'm sorry. Uh, that's the thing. His birthday's July third. He had just turned fifty six. You fucking idiot! You stupid moron! You unbelievable oaf! How old is Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson. Oh yes. Oh oh my God! He is so good looking. He's sixty two. I figured he had to be older. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is when he started. God, he started that's in small uh, of a gap. Jesus. Mad Max. Christ. First one was a seventy nine. Jesus. All right, so I, oh. One last thing before we move on past the, the bathroom scene mm-hmm. to, you know, the rest of this fantastic, fantastic movie. Yes. I just want to say, I want to put it out there, that after seeing all of this fucking Marvel schlock and Star Wars movies and, like, lowest common denominator sequels, I was so glad that all they did with the broken phone that gets switched out for the regular phone later is just hang the camera on it for a beat, rather than simply going, oh, damn, he smashed up his phone, like would have happened in every fucking Marvel movie. <laughs> like, I was so glad the movie thought I had, like, at least three digits worth of IQ points. It's just you have to understand, Alex. The reason that you like that so much is because you're an adult, and I—that isn't me insulting the Marvel movies. If you want to hear me insult Marvel movies, listen know, to other I episodes know, of the podcast. I know they're for babies. Like, they, yeah, that is a it's... big thing. Those movies are made for babies, and the Mission Impossible series is really what illustrates that. People say, "Oh, they're made for everyone." Yeah, well, they're really made for the nine to ten year old who will beg their mother for a toy after the movie. Whereas this, I don't have to beg. I can buy my own toys. I'm an adult. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> But the other thing, <laughs> the other thing is that these movies, I think, are definitely made for a more adult audience. I say this as uh, movies that have some pretty ridiculous scenarios, but the movies take themselves seriously to the point where it's not irritating. You know? Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm so beaten over the head with franchises and sequels that just want to treat me like I'm a moron that just one didn't do it oh. and I'm very happy if, if we're going to talk I about I too saw all the trailers before the movie <laughs> if we if we're going to talk about Marvel movies we have to talk about how there was no Marvel humor in this thank god <laughs> I am so happy to Dude, that fucking Aquaman trailer oh jesus Every dude joke we, let's talk about hurt it hurt my balls that fucking Aquaman trailer did you, you must have heard me I Alex, you say you're in Chicago. I don't know how fast sound travels, but you had to have heard me, how many, however many hundreds of miles away you are. When that Aquaman trailer played, I, Rich Evans, laughed so hard when I saw that woman's outfit with the green and the red. It was worse than the outfit in Batman and Robin. Yeah. It's incredible it's because it, it shows the undersea stuff. It's like, oh, you're pouring a lot of money into this. You're just not backing down yeah. from this hunt, DC. That like, CGI was so, so bad. gorgeous. <laughs> I want to fucking... They're riding sharks around. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> the only way you can convince me to see your shitty superhero movies is to put sharks in it. So, <laughs> God damn knew. it. <laughs> they got us again. They, they know us. Not... They have us pegged. Simon pegged. Uh, God, Aquaman. I got Bumblebee, and I got Alita Battle Angel. Tell me about Alita Battle Angel. Oh, God. It looks so much worse than I could have possibly imagined. I just, I didn't understand, like, what the artistic goal there was. Is it, like, supposed to be, like, an anime character in the real world? Like, what are we going for? Yes. I think that's the idea, yeah. Here's the question. So that's getting released on the same day as Bumblebee and Aquaman? (laughs) Why? (laughs) <laughs> that's gonna make zero dollars for a movie that's nothing but CGI. That's the thing is you I can't even claim that the. Uh, that's the thing you can't even claim that like anime fans are gonna go see it because they didn't go see Ghost in the Smell. It's like they're looking at it like, 
Well, we really biff this. Well, if we open it on this day, we have deniability. I'm like, ah, oh, well, you know, it opened alongside these two big movies. That's why four people saw it. <laughs> so, um, before we move away from the trailers, did either of you get the Overlord trailer? No. Yes. I, I did. I think, I think I'm actually excited to see this movie. I'm so in. The, the, so... the TLDR in this movie is some Americans get lost to D-Day, and they wander upon a Nazi camp where they're just, like, injecting people with chemicals to make super Nazis. <gasps> and that's, like, all. I, I, the so... nerve to play ACDC for <laughs> yeah. I was locked in immediately. <laughs> this fucking World War II movie, they're, like, flying over the beach. It's just a I'm so excited for it to be a secret Cloverfield dude. You have no idea. <laughs> I'm in. That fucking Aquaman. That. Uh, why is that movie? <laughs> it's funny because it's still like by process of elimination uh-huh. will be the at mm-hmm. least the second best DC mm-hmm. movie. You boy. There's no way that movie's worse than Suicide Squad. Okay, okay yeah, obviously. But it's, it's better than half the movies put to fall. <laughs> See, he gets it. <laughs> you are really holding They're riding around in underwater monsters just, eating each other. I just, he fucking he climbs onto the submarine, knocks two dudes out, and says permission to come aboard. Like, how can I not laugh at how bad that is? It's so fucking terrible. I can't wait. It's either that or Bumblebee. I've made my choice. I will be goddamned if you make me sit through Bumblebee. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Now you're yeah. sitting. You don't need a plane ticket angel. to do that, motherfucker. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I guess that's it for the trailers. Uh, I, except I got the Meg again, which apparently my sister's first time seeing the Meg trailer. Good for her. Cannot what a treat! Fucking wait. I cannot wait. That movie's gonna be legit. So uh, back to um, Mission Impossible Fallout. Our mustache is back in. They were never out, yeah. baby. Well, there we go. <laughs> They're only out if you digitally remove them from your face. <laughs> Contractually obligated mustache. He would have looked so much better with a mustache. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. I forgot yeah. Justice League opens with a close-up of his, his face. His face is as big as a house. <laughs> it's so fucking good. The movie's on HBO Go and every day I'm like, I should probably get drunk and watch this again. <laughs> Just for that It's scene. a real oh, struggle. No. Same, except for the first time. <laughs> you were asleep on my arm like a toddler for the first 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Did you, like, wake up, see Steppenwolf and go, oh, you yeah. should go back to sleep? I w- no, I, so, so I woke up, I saw that, I reached for my drink and realized all the ice had melted and then went back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what that reminds me? Actually, that does kind of tie into this, is I saw, um, what's it called? Uh, I saw Mission Impossible fall on, like, three hours of sleep. I have just been not getting any rest. It's been miserable. And I got into the movie, and, like, the first act is progressing. This is before the Halo jump, and I was, like... I wasn't nodding off or anything, but I was, like... I had to, like, move my spine around. I was, like, oh, jeez, I'm tired. I, I better not fall asleep during this movie. And then the bathroom scene happens, and I'm just, like, oh, okay. I'm just, like... I got my, my uh, popcorn, and I'm just shoveling it into my mouth. Which, by the way... Oh, my God, <laughs> I miss that popcorn so much. It's so good. So, so life hack here. This is what you do. You get your water, Kazabi. And then you get your uh, your pretzel, Kazabi. You get two things of the cheese. Don't get the mustard. It stinks. Then you get, like, the leftover cheese, and you use that with the popcorn. And, oh, treat boys delight. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Look, talking about the runtime, yeah. 
You know me. Once we hit like an hour 40, I'm ready for a movie to yeah. end. The fact that this is two and a half hours and I was ready to go and see it again the next day. Like, yeah. That's the highest praise I can physically give a movie. And I will say this. One of the reasons that I think it differs a lot from Mad Max Fury Road, in which uh, I, I love that movie unconditionally. I will say that anytime it's playing, is that with Mad Max Fury Road, I felt that there was a lot that was cut out, that uh, if they had put it back in, the movie would have been just as good, if not better. And there was also a lot in the movie, this is all for Mad Max Fury Road, uh, where if you had cut it out from the movie, it still would have been as good, possibly even better, who knows, we're not going to get that version. Whereas with this, I don't know that there's anything you can add to the movie to make it better, and I don't know if the movie would hold up if you removed any scene. It is just great the way that it is and that is a tough balance for any movie to have especially an action movie like I to, mean, for a movie to be in almost nothing but set pieces and to never get bored of them yeah well i never got bored of I, this movie there I wasn't got, a single it, scene where i was like uh maybe i should look at my phone or something if i was at home i'd be yeah doing the else. the michelle monaghan scene as you're getting towards the end was kind of not great really yeah I, I, that was okay. it was almost a wrap it up button moment but yeah but then like they got away from it the, then they literally like there, there was like 10 it. minutes where i was like oh this is the rest of the movie huh? see i actually that's a that's the scene where i leaned into my sister and i told her that is a big deal we haven't seen her in several years and uh i, I was unbelievable first of all that she looks younger than i do unbelievable that tom cruise bizarre. looks younger than i do what the fuck it's like everyone in this movie except for Simon Pegg. And like, Ving Rhames. Looks like they looked like 15 years ago. Ving Rhames is noticeably aged. But uh, actually, let's talk about them. I love Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames in this movie. I think that they are very funny. It's not Marvel-level funny. It's just, this is just fun. None of, the, none of the jokes in this movie fall flat for me. There are a couple ones that are just like, well, it wasn't a hit, but I, I understand that that was a joke, and I understand that this is, that this is fine, and it kind of works in the context of the movie. Not, yeah, not but don't worry about letters. the callback. Worked really well. Like, the, the every time they said it, I was like, I, I it got a smile out of me. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. So I think this isn't the movie's fault, but I think I just have Simon Pegg fatigue at this point. Like I've just I've had enough Simon Pegg. Man, I've watched like he was in was what was he was he in three? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I watched uh, three and yes. four and five basically all back to back and six all back-to-back, and I still don't have Simon Pegg fatigue. I've seen him in well, one bad movie. It's not that he's in bad movies, it's that he's the same character in everything, and he's on screen 20% more than he needs to be in every movie he's in, and I've just, I've had enough. Like, like if he just, like, if I don't see anything with him in it for, like, two years, and then he comes back, like, oh, that guy, I like him. But, like, right now, I'm just kind of... Uh, I, I can understand Between this and Star Trek and... Oh, see, I didn't see Star Trek, so that's probably the... I bet that one probably would have put me over the top, but whenever I see him, I think of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and how much I love him in those movies. And I see him in this, it's like, I I just really like his character. I think he's a lot of fun, and he seems very, very natural. He is one of the more credible actors in this role. Yeah, yeah, it's not the movie's fault, what I'm saying. You could do a whole lot worse with the comedic sidekick. It's probably Hollywood's fault, really, for just the oversaturation of the Simon Pegg market, I guess. Now I'm just thinking how much worse this is of that character's T.J. Miller. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Fuck that dude forever. All right, never mind. We're back on Simon Pegg. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to talk about the set pieces. Is uh, When I you know when I first heard the term set piece, I started thinking about video games. 
because uh, that's what I first heard. People, they like to complain about the Half-Life series because it's a bunch of set pieces. Half-Life 1 is my favorite game of all time, and it's because of the set pieces. Everything seems to go into place like a puzzle here, and I just have a lot of fun with that, and a lot of these movies are about set pieces. We're going to do this, this is going to be a really big thing, we're all going to focus on this, there'll be a little bit of connecting scenes here. And I, I started to chuckle, not because the movie was funny, but rather because I was just having such a good time. It's like when you start to laugh on a roller coaster, and you're not laughing at the people screaming, you're just laughing because you're having such a good time. I was chuckling at the helicopter scene when it started, and when I knew it was like, <laughs> oh my god, they're going to have a helicopter fight. That is the coolest thing. Uh, oh wait, I just, I, I sh that's the thing, I didn't take any notes for this movie. I, I was uh, like, oh yeah, it's, I'll just talk about it in a couple hours, everything will be fresh. I, one thing I should have written down, I just remembered. My sister and I lost it in the movie. We almost we almost got kicked out. Uh, is the helicopter scene <laughs> where he has the payload <laughs> and he's like he's gonna <laughs> drop it on him and he just he just whispers power. <laughs> I, I laughed like a newborn. <laughs> like when he starts <laughs> raising above him with that payload. I just started scoring my seat like, oh my god, please, please <laughs> fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was a great scene. That's the thing is, my sister has, uh, I don't know how much of this I should dis disclose, but she'd probably support it. She has a little bit of anxiety, and she says that this movie is not great for those with anxiety. Cause, but she was smiling the whole way through, too, but the entire climax of the movie, that helicopter scene, she was legit squirming all around, like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, covering up her face, like, is, is he going to make it, all this other stuff? And her eyes were like dinner plates when the nuke goes off. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I think, one of the it, scenes that you were talking about. Yeah, because th they hang on it mm -hmm. for, like, an extra beat, like one more beat than you would expect them to hang on it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know in your head that they didn't, but you're sitting there like, man, did they just fucking do that? That's like, the thing, is you have to take it into account. Even even the scene, and this I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, actually, wait, never mind. I, I didn't find him credible, so I couldn't believe him there. Sorry. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I just realized, yeah, fucking, I couldn't buy into oh, it. I'm ruining your own narrative over here. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. Well, I, I, I'm crazy. the editor, so I'll just make myself look good in post. Uh, is, like, there are a bunch of scenes in the movie where they wonder, oh, did he just do that? Are they really going to do this? Uh, think about even the Ving Rhames scene at the beginning where he says, uh, Lucifer, I'm sorry, or Luther, I'm sorry, uh, and it shoots him with the blanks. You know that he wasn't really going to kill him, but what if they did? Ving Rhames is getting kind of old. Like, are they really going to bring him back for the sequel? It's one of the things that you talked about with Mission Impossible, the first movie. Emilio Estevez dies in the first act. What if they tried to kill off uh, uh, Ethan Hunt at one point, and then in the third act, Jeremy Renner comes in and just ruins the entire franchise? <laughs> they just pull a Metal Gear Solid 2 on you. Yeah, I, I was... Honestly, I, I, I was lucky. I I, uh, I got to three minutes before the credits rolled, and I was just like, "Oh, Jeremy Renner wasn't in this." Oh well. Like in that scene, there was like a solid seventy percent chance in my head that he just shoots Ving Rhames because Ving Rhames has barely been in the movies since like yeah two. Yeah, like, it's, it's in I play. could very easily see that be the thing of him going after his team because it's his arch nemesis. Like, I would not have been surprised. Which you know is nice to be surprised in a movie for once <laughs> it is it is it's a novel concept yeah uh but uh yeah the nuke scene was uh, another one of those examples there's a scene um 
Wait, with a French police officer, that woman who was really cute. I wonder what her name was. Uh, the scene where you see a gun come out of a sleeve and you think it's going to be Henry Cavill. And instead, it's the terrorists across the way. And you're like, oh, they they really got me going there. I was wondering, oh, what's going to happen? And you keep looking at him in the back, and you're like, I got you, movie. I got you, movie. I know what's going to happen, and someone else. They also do that in the bathroom scene where a gunshot goes off, and Tom Cruise does not get shot. Instead, it's Henry Cavill, who we're just not going to refer to by his character's name, I guess. I don't. Remember yeah, it wasn't really honestly. memorable. If only an actor who was credible had played it and made it a memorable <laughs> role. Oh well. Um, see, that's the thing about it. I, I would do the same thing with Alec Baldwin because he doesn't feel like an actor. He feels like, Dude, it's I Alec Baldwin. I don't fucking know what anybody's name in these movies are. It's not important. Yeah, there's like three recurring characters. I don't have time to learn these names. Like, I, I know, I know all Simon Pegg is Benji because Benji's a dumb name and it sticks out in my head. Well, I don't okay. know am I the only one who memorizes Benji. character names? Ethan Hunt, Benji, Luther? Come on. I mean, I mean, I know Ethan Hunt. Yeah. But like that. Ilsa? Implied. Like, I've watched, I just watched a Sasquatch movie. I don't have time for names. Maybe that's because I remember that character's name in, uh... What was that movie that was really embarrassing and bad? Oh, yeah, Lost World. Uh, not Lost World, uh, Jurassic World Say. 2. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> this is a trick question. Jurassic World, Jurassic World 2, sorry. <laughs> I almost called it Booker DeWitt. Anyway, uh... <laughs> Suck it. Uh... What, what were some of the? Can we just talk about the incredible chasing? Oh yeah, I, had, I like, was about four to different like, elements uh, to it. Which, which should we talk about next? Oh my goodness! I love that there were so many shots of him, Ethan driving on the motorcycle that were like just a second or two too long to get your real feel of like they're not quick cutting. He's really darting through these cars, and yeah. at any moment Tom Cruise could just collide with one. One of the things that I was uh, reading in the trivia for one of the other movies is that. Uh, it's not just Tom Cruise, oh, I want to do my own stunts and Xanadu will protect me. No, no, no. He has to do his own stunts. He's a better driver than all of the stuntmen. Yeah. yeah I believe He's, it. Yeah, I, I mean, the, look I'm, at the way that he rode that motorcycle. It's incredible. There was a, there was a French movie uh, a while back that's about eight minutes long, so it's a short, and it's just someone driving through the streets of France at incredibly high speeds and ignoring all the traffic laws, and it's really good as an avant-garde sort of short movie that's foreign and... Sorry. Uh, yeah. So I like the chase scene. I don't know about you. <laughs> so I like the the motorcycle scene is great. The, the car scene is great. Even when he's running... Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you thank you so much he runs for what feels like 45 minutes and it's funny the entire time so one of the things that uh one of the things i i read online this weekend and you guys might see me post on facebook is that robin williams was a record-setting uh track and cross-country runner in high school and i can believe it to an extent he seems like a fast energetic guy and the thing that actually made me pause it was like wait the dude was like five four how did he run that fast at five uh, four? You think that longer legs would help you somewhat? And I look at uh, Tom Cruise. I'm like, well, he runs a lot. He doesn't run well, but you know, maybe he's got an idea of how to run. W- what is this man doing with his arms? It's <laughs> he throws his he head back like he's about to cross the finish line of a marathon, except in every fucking foot. So what is more embarrassing, Tom Cruise running the way he does, or those kids in high school who would run like Naruto? 
<laughs> it honestly he runs like a robot trying to mimic a human being i love it so well, much good news that is exactly who and what he is it's like his arms are like trying to climb a ladder in front of him as he's running <laughs> like i i know that like i can say this until i'm blue in the face but like until you've actually experienced like the entire catalog of tom cruise movies there is a running close-up in every single one of them. He clearly demands these be in the movies. And also <laughs> so has no cool. idea how to do it. I, I really wish someone yeah. would like show him. Like, I, I no, absolutely oh, not. You... <laughs> he runs like a dog who's having a dream about running. He's <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. If somebody actually threw together like a Tom Cruise like embarrassingly running montage and put it on YouTube, I, it would be thirty minutes. Long, I like, think I've actually seen one of those. Except it was like, it was like eight minutes long, and it was supposed yeah. to be a best of. <laughs> <laughs> and it, they played like goofy bo- music. I don't think they played Yakety Sax. I, at least I hope not. But every single time they were running it. Wait, was it was it the one where they said he runs like a girl or something? He doesn't run like a girl. That's insulting to girls, and it's insulting to running. <laughs> He's so he runs regular. like a goober. Let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> he runs like if if my oh man if my dad had him on the baseball team and saw him running like that, he would pull him immediately and yell at that guy's dad. <laughs> I mean, like you say, how well Tom Cruise connects. Only a man who's willing to bear himself emotionally to that level. On a giant IMAX screen, running like the world's biggest asshole for about ten minutes, <laughs> you feel like you're there with Ethan. Hunt. Maybe the world's smallest asshole. Uh, speaking of Alex, I think you were one of the ones who pointed. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you were one of the ones who pointed out that at least the movies are no longer pretending like he's five foot nine. They're they're just <laughs> like yeah, he's five seven. Get over it. I mean, I think that was by design in this movie, just because of who he was like. Working against, against, yeah, exactly. Like, Henry Cavill's like what's like like, like like you if you emphasize that he's short in this specific movie, it makes everything that's going on more effective. But yeah, in a lot of these other more recent Tom Cruise movies, they're still hiding it. So I I don't think that's a Hollywood sea change of how we're gonna frame Tom Cruise. It's just like, oh, what if he just fought against a big monkey man? <laughs> oh yeah, I get it. Like in Dexter's Laboratory. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> First, first of all, first of all, Monkey Man was a Hey Arnold kid. That, I was doing that on purpose. Second of all, I was that was one of my best ones. I was going to say I, Dial M for Monkey Man. I mean, you know how we just talked about how Henry Cavill like doesn't get any credit throughout this movie. You're the Henry Cavill of my life. <laughs> oh, I'm going to grow back that mustache and look at you, sultry eyes. <laughs> CGI your fucking high school bitch. Your fucking... <laughs> oh my god, are you going to do that with a fucking smile that I have? <laughs> I'm going to blue screen you. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to try to kill Batman. This is what I wanted to see in the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see all my heroes fail and then Superman show up with a weird mouth and beat him by himself. Oh my god, that's, that's the thing, is the studio version of this podcast is just me talking animatedly about how an actor has to emote, connect, and be credible, and Alex is the Brad Pitt just looking disappointed. <laughs> Release the Snyder Cut of Real Deal No Sex <laughs> By the way, all those people should never stop fucking off. That movie doesn't exist, you 
fucking losers. You, you know who's like a really big proponent of releasing the Snyder Cut? There's two people. Your favorites. Ben Shapiro and Me. David French. <laughs> Straight up. I can't get over how Speaking much I hate Ben Shapiro. Four. Just not even being like this old political sort of thing, but like he was one of the ones when uh, The Shape of Water won Best Actor and he seriously pulled out the Kanye West uh, I'm gonna let you finish but Batman v Superman <laughs> is one of the best movies of the year. I was just like He's Fuck so cool. You. <laughs> he's he's so regular. Wait, I wait, did he say Batman v Superman or Justice League? Because that was those were two different years. Speaking of Jeremy, sorry. <laughs> Here we go. Here Doesn't we go. it own that like he was Thanks in? Nothing. He was supposed to take over for Ethan Hunt. Does not is not in what's one of the best action movies of the fucking decade. Supposed to take over Jason Bourne. They just kick him out and bring Matt Damon back. Finally gets to be in Marvel movies, and then he's not in Infinity War. <laughs> Just never stop fucking off. Look, Wind River was cool. Wind That's River it. was super dope. Right around Wind River broke me. Uh, Huckleberry friend. Yeah, uh, poor Jeremy Renner just doesn't seem to have any luck, does he? And, like, even in the Marvel movies, he's, like, very clearly the second least attractive male lead. And the only one who's less attractive than him is Mark Ruffalo, 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 Ruffalo. Tom Cruise looks 20 years younger. Jeremy Renner looks like he's been 47 for the last decade. <laughs> Jeremy Renner legitimately looks a lot older than Tom Cruise. That's one of the things about... Tom uh, Cruise took his youth and then kicked him out of the that's franchise. That's one of the things I, I should have mentioned this about uh, about Ghost Protocol. Uh, Tom Cruise is like, what, 48, 49 in that movie? He, I'm not kidding when I say this, actually looks younger than I do in that movie. And it's, it's extremely insane. strange how well this man ages. Like, how old is this I'm guy sure going to look lot of it, I'm sure he's paying a lot of money for that CGI de-aging, but you know what? You know what? what? I don't know that he is. You do you, homie. I, I don't know. That's maybe... I, I bet a lot of this... Well, actually, I don't know how much of this is plastic he's got surgery. got that Disney money. Because the nose. The nose is like the one sign that's like, oh, he's getting a little WC Fields aging over here. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that this guy uh, is just aging like the rest of... Do you guys think he's human? Can we just... He has surpassed the, us. The big problem is the only person who unfortunately had to sit through Jack Reacher 2 is he looks real old in that. Oh, really? And so oh. It's, 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 it's like, like, it's kind of it's like there's the one example the of him looking old. Like, it's just like, oh. Goodness. So his age is directly proportional to if the movie's good? Yeah, basically. That's why he looks so out of place in The Mummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> does anything look in place in that movie? You'll be finding out come football season, buddy. Oh, uh, that's sure I was. I was going to take it easy on you. I hope you like samurai movies. So, uh, no, I'm not going to give you that. You have to do a good job first. Uh, we're going to be watching a lot of movies for this next episode, so I, I can't just give you a good four-hour movie. Um, now, regardless, uh, when I talk about the plot of this movie, the plot was, I thought, excellent. I think it was better than the plots in almost all the other movies. I was really, like, locked in, focused, you know? I wasn't I wasn't distracted the entire time. I wasn't like, wait, but what's going on? Like, there were a couple parts where I was, like, not so much confused, but I was like, okay, now how is this going to work out? Who's she working for? What's going on here? And I was able to follow it with uh, pretty much enough ease. It wasn't as simplified as Mad Max Fury Road, but it was... Uh, it, it, it was a well-done plot. I think you guys would agree. Yeah, yeah. I think my biggest complaint about the first Mission Impossible is that plot is so fucking needlessly confusing. It's incredibly it takes convoluted. Yeah. way too many watchings to go, 
wait, fuck, who, what? I don't, none of this makes sense. And then two, we, I mean. Uh, yeah, well. Goddamn. <laughs> God okay, guys. I think got... in a lot of ways, the plot of this movie was aided by the fact that it, it's, the, I think it's the only movie in the series that feels like a direct sequel to the, the previous movie. Like, this really does feel like Rogue Nation Part 2. We have the same bad guys. We have the same, like, major players involved. I and was that just, not expecting that. I'm yeah, really happy to watch Rogue Nation. Yeah. yeah, it just cuts out a lot of the bullshit. Like, we don't have to be like, oh, here's the evil guys, and here's what they think. And, oh, they actually think this thing, and, like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, it's the syndicate again. We're good with this. We know what they are. He's going to sit down. He's going to watch this neat little minute-long presentation, and we're going back to the movie. But the we the got funny this. thing is that I don't think that they had to do that. They, they could have just said, oh, it's a different terrorist cell, and now they're doing this. But I feel like they have enough... I don't know about respect, but maybe appreciation for their fans. It's like, okay, you sat through a Rogue Nation, and here's what you get. It's like a little connecting piece. I kind of like it when movies do that. It's like, no, we we understand, you know, you're watching everything in the series, and here's what you get. They are all connected. Now, when I talk about the plots in the other movies, this is going to sound hopefully not too heretical here, but uh, one of the problems that I have with movies in this series, not this one, uh, I'm getting to this, is the same problem that I have with a lot of Star Wars movies, is that there isn't really a big theme behind these movies besides bad guys are bad, but good guys, good guys are good. And I, I don't like this whole good versus evil, light versus dark struggle, because it's not it's not really a theme. I do not learn anything by this. I have not grown in any meaningful capacity as a person. And I was worried that this movie would do something similar. One of the reasons that I like Mad Max Fury Road is that it's about a whole lot more than just a car chase. There's a lot of humanity in here. There's a lot of world building. There's a lot of uh, trying to teach you a lesson of some sort. And this movie does it once. It only needs to do it once. I don't need like every single scene to be like, this is why environmentalism is good. Global warming sucks. At the end of the movie, when I believe it was Sloan, uh, Angela Bassett says that there's an importance towards caring about a hundred million people as much as you care about one person. And I thought that was a really, really good line. And that that's the one that really stuck with me throughout this movie. And it's something that elevates him above most Marvel superheroes. And obviously every DC superhero. I mean, this movie has a scene where Ving Rhames starts crying because Tom Cruise saved his life. I was not expecting that going into this. And it's not even like, oh, the power of friendship, because that's literally every single uh, Mission Impossible movie. It's uh, more about, you know, doing the right thing, possibly sacrificing themselves for the good of saving people. Yeah, and that's like one constant thread throughout the movie, is like every time something like is going wrong or appears to be going wrong, just in the back of your head, it's like, oh, right, this only happened because he lost the nuke so he could save his friend. Like, there's no plot whatsoever like none of the events of this movie happens if he isn't just like i'm worried about my friend like Mm -hmm. and then again it comes full circle at the end it's like there is an importance to doing something like that and i i i really like that the movie does that that is what elevates it above all the other mission impossible movies for me is that there is a heart to this movie there is there is something that you learn and you grow a little bit when you watch this movie because in every other movie, it's just like, yeah, I gotta save the world. First movie, he doesn't really seem to care very much about Emilio Estevez. And, and now, it's like, okay, this is a big thing. Speaking of, I think that movie actually killed off Emilio Estevez's career, didn't it? Look, Mission Impossible has always been about me, Familia. 
<laughs> it just feels weird saying that, you know what? History is going to be kind to the sixth Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, boy. This, but this it's the fucking truth. Like, this movie's going to stand apart for a long time. That, that's weird. Like, think about it like this. It's like, did anyone expect the fourth Mad Max movie to be that good? Like, and, and especially with all the years of separation, I'd say that, th- that this movie being good as the sixth entry in the franchise, that's about as unexpected as Fury Road being what it is. Now, I've, I've brought up that movie a lot, mostly because of the comparison. So, best action movie since this. Uh, I think this is where... Scariest movie since The Exorcist. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Never gets Actually, before that. I get into uh, my comparison here, uh, Parker, I want to call you out on something really briefly. Oh, in, good. In one episode, I think it might have been the Hereditary episode, uh, you said that thriller is not a genre. because, And I, I can understand why you said that, because a lot of reviewers have this awful habit of referring to what is a horror movie, undeniably a horror movie, as, oh, it's more of a psychological thriller. And you hate that. And I can understand it. And I hate it too. But when I think thriller, I don't think, you know, hereditary. I don't think A Quiet Place. I think Mission Impossible. This movie, people say, oh, it's an action movie. I, I think that this is more of a thriller. Because the entire time, it's like, this is supposed to thrill you in some way. And uh, obviously no elements of horror, uh, unless you count Simon Pegg looking like Larry King. But uh, yeah, you know, this this is uh, one of the most thrilling movies you're going to see. Yeah, I'll concede yeah. that. You happy? Piece of shit? Is that what I can't you can't wait to give you your movie. All right. He just made your point for you, and you're just like, <laughs> no, I guess you're right about the thing that I already said. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic of being on the show. <laughs> I'm just sitting here like I can't be the only one that realizes this is happening, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what are you gonna do? One of us has to be up for work in four hours, so you know, just move past it. You deserve this. Anyway. <laughs> what? Yeah, anyway. Um, a real quick thing here. Between this movie and Mad Max Fury Road, which one are you guys taking? I'm taking Fury Road every single day, twice on Sunday. Uh, I think it might be a bit of personal bias. Maybe it's because I saw it first, but uh, I love Fury Road. I really, really love Fury Road. And uh, I think they're both excellent. I think they're both masterpieces of their genres, but... Uh, yeah, that's just the way that I'd lean. Uh, I'll let uh, Alex go and then Parker. So I'm taking this over Fury Road. I have, I have nitpicks with Fury Road, most of which like I've reconciled and I'm fine with. I feel like, ultimately, the reason that I choose something like this over Fury Road is just because of the breadth of it. Like this movie goes wide, where Fury Ro- in places that Fury Road only really goes tall. And I'm just talking about, like, movie construction, not in terms of, like, the ideas and the plot and the acting. Like, everything about Fury Road is great. I think it's 20 minutes too long, but I think that about basically every movie ever made. Although I don't feel that way about this Mission Impossible movie, which is insane for me to say. Um, But ultimately, I think that the distinction there is just going to be stylistically. And, like, I like what this movie was going for more than I like what Fury Road was going for. And... That's not an insult to Fury Road in the slightest. Yeah. Okay, Parker, here's your opportunity to take my side. I would love to, but I gotta lean for this just because of recency bias. Between just watching this and watching 4 and 5 right before it, like, 
I'm on fucking cloud nine right I now. I can understand that. I want to be. I want to live in Tom Cruise's world right now. I pulled out my copy of Fury Road to rewatch before this episode, but then I watched a Sasquatch movie instead. So <laughs> that's, that's very on brand. I think one of those decisions well, would be on brand. Let me throw this question at right. you: Mission Impossible four, five, and six, or Fast and Furious five, six, and seven? I knew you were gonna do this. Mission Impossible four, five, and six. It's like picking my favorite dad. <laughs> I knew this would hurt you the most. All right, because seeing that Ghost Protocol and Fast Five came out the same year, maybe just like stop and think about Goodness life. Gracious. All right, I, I am I am going to give my answer and the why, and it's going to be sacrilegious. All right, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it out there. I'm gonna put it out in the world. I'm taking Mission Impossible because Vin Diesel's not in it. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. I think that's actually fair. Yeah, Fast Five is incredible, but. And Vin, I think like I think I said, Vin Diesel's actually a really good so actor. Long. I think he hits all three of the things I said. Emote, yeah, he's, incredible, but he's fine. He is he is actually he can't carry a, he can't carry a franchise, and he's asked. To, oh, that's so rude to Chronicles of Riddick. Anyway, <laughs> uh, one of the things. Yeah, Henry Cavill. I just don't connect with him. This Vin Diesel guy. He's got some chops. I think he does. I, Turn this podcast I, off. I'm very visceral when he got domed in Saving Private. Ryan. I actually think he's a lot better <laughs> as a voice actor. Anyway, uh, one of the things that Fury Road and this movie have in common that I think really elevate both of them above other action movies is the practical effects, and they all feel very real. As a result, there's a lot less CGI than you get in these other movies, and the movie is much better for it. So, um, I guess that's our final thoughts, as everyone can tell, we love this movie. So, time for some... Does Christopher McQuarrie just get a blank check for, like, his next three movies? Like, can he just do whatever he wants regardless of if they're good or bad now? Uh, I'm worried that he can. Yeah. Mm. I feel like he's getting a pass for me no matter what he puts out for at least the next five years. So, I think one of the interesting things about... This movie specifically, it feels like the narrative around Tom Cruise has shifted for the first time since we found out he was crazy on YouTube. I feel like this is like the first time that like there's nobody out there going like, yeah, but when you talk about Tom Cruise, like, and I feel like that was a thing for a long time. And there was that run of some good and some bad and nearly all action movies where like, it's like, if you tried to talk to somebody who had Edge of Tomorrow, like, oh, Tom Cruise is in that, isn't he a fucking weirdo? And like, that's just gone now. I mean, he made sti- a movie so good that we forgot he's a literal crazy yeah, person. He's, he's still a crazy yeah, person. Really nobody's crazy. talking about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he's like suddenly. Unfortunately, crazy. unfortunately, like, we don't that's care the way anymore. that every conversation I've had about this movie has started. Saying, well, first of all, let's get out of the way that Tom Cruise is actually insane. However, you know, the rest of the movie's really good. But uh, unfortunately, that's a just sane the person knows. would do that Halo jump. Therefore, yeah. <laughs> kick rocks. Yeah. If it takes a crazy person oh. to make this movie, then a hundred times. Yeah. So, uh, time for a damage report. I owe you each a movie. Uh, Parker, you lost the bet. Uh, incredible line set by Alex. Thank you very much. Fucking God. No. Damn it. I love, so, I love so much that you made me watch two movies just because I said something dumb and off the cuff to see what you do with it. I, <laughs> like, like, none of these have been actual bets. Like, no, this, this time I, I've got a, a chance to just, be, well, actually, you about, like, a matter of someone's age. I can't believe I'm like this. Uh, but first one is uh, for Parker. I just didn't care if I was right or not. I, I, <laughs> I, I know, but you have to understand how much we like the bets on this show. This is like the number one feature of the podcast. Yeah, so give me something I can work with. No, I will. I will. I promise I will. Uh, for Parker, I'm feeling merciful. Uh, I kind of want your take on this. Uh, 
Oh, no. no, 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 no. Okay, so it's going to sound awful, but don't worry. The movie is actually really manageable. It's like barely over 90 minutes. Um, it's okay. a 1972 movie. Ugh. No horror. <laughs> no superheroes. It's, it's a German it's movie. It's not even a movie. Uh, no, it's called Aguirre, The Wrath of God. I will message you the way that it's spelled, so uh, you can find it. And I, yeah, I'm sure I got it right. I'm sure I nailed I'm, it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. And here is me being extra nice. I think there are two versions out there. I think there's an English version and a German version. Uh, so you can watch whichever one you want. I, I don't mind subbed or dubbed. I, I don't care. Just whichever one you find. <laughs> Uh, I, I would like your take on it. I think it's supposed to be, and you can read up on the Wikipedia or the IMDb or whatever, this movie is supposed to be a masterpiece. Uh, I quite liked it. I would like to see how you feel about it. It's uh, This is a classic, so kind of want to see how you feel. Uh, for Alex, Alex, have you watched uh, the, uh, the reboot of Mystery Science Theater 3000? I saw like the first two episodes. I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty cool," and then I just forgot about it. So you've seen, so Same. you've seen Cry Wilderness. Sounds possible. Like I, I'm not good with names, but okay, maybe. because that is the Bigfoot movie that they did. Um, I don't think I've seen that. No. Then that's okay. the one that I you're getting. All you had to say was the magic word. Yeah, that is that is the Bigfoot movie, <laughs> and uh, that is an immediate classic. That is very easily one of the best episodes of any Mystery Science Theater 3000. So good news, it's on Netflix. You can watch it tonight if you wanted to. And uh, that episode to me is really special. I don't know if you're as into to Mystery Science Theater 3000 as I am, but uh, that episode is real, real I mean, good. I think it's funny, but to say am I into it as much as you are is like not something that is possible for another human. That's a good point. So, That's yeah. why I like it more than Undertale. So uh, at this point, your bingo card Somebody is just say filled Undertale? out all the way. <laughs> uh, what do I get when I get a quintuple uh, fucking bingo here? Yeah, yeah. He just filled the card. Like, what yeah. do we do now? Give us decide theory. Got Undertale. It's just he just like wait, Chris. I, I even tricked him into chips. saying Rob Nikovich. <laughs> <laughs> was he a linebacker? Was he a defensive who gave end? Gave the speech He's after both. the Boston bombings. You got your outside linebacker in my defensive end. <laughs> Two things that go oh, great together. Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got uh, Parker an actual classic that he'll wine his way through, and uh, I got Alex a Bigfoot. Movie. Watch a Bigfoot movie. Thank God. It's this is horseshit. Watch it with the Mystery Science Theater two thousand commentary because the commentary is really good. I'm so fucking mad right now. <laughs> Here's a movie, it's in German, you can read it. Hey, here's a movie about Bigfoot. <laughs> Fuck off forever. Uh, I'm so happy someone reminded me about that Batman Harley Quinn animated movie, you sack of oh, shit. Gee, no, of all the things I really don't want to watch, were you really going to assign me the Halo movie? No, I have something much better. <laughs> it is unfair that you get a little toady to help you along with movie suggestions for me. Follow-up question, which Halo movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Chris, I think it's just about time for you to finish the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, finishing this podcast, which reminds me we're almost at two hours here. Uh, our next movies, uh, Parker, if you're in on this one, then I am too. Uh, we could do the Jaws quadrilogy to get ready for the Meg. Absolutely. Okay, uh, I'm locked in. Uh, I think I think we mentioned before when Alex talked about seeing Jaws, like, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it start to finish, oh. and I've never seen the sequels, so it's time to fucking strap oh. in and watch some sharks. Jaws 1 is another masterpiece. 
don't worry about it. I'm serious this time. So I'm only watching one masterpiece yeah, this week. Uh, well, hey, Akira. I don't know. I think you might you might enjoy Akira. You might you might not uh, be into it. It's not for everybody, but uh, there's something to recommend about Aguirre it. Akira is my favorite Godzilla monster. I thought you were gonna go with Yongari. The Korean one, which is so much better than the other. The Gear Simulator. <laughs> I, I was going to make the joke if you didn't. I was just going to finish talking. I felt Fuck. A, I felt a tremor. <laughs> I, I had to lean to get closer to the mic. <laughs> oh, God. We are such trash. We probably can just leave these by the door. Quinn's going to be busy with that hooker for a while. What? A hooker? Uh-oh. 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 watching TJ Hooker. I thought you said he was with a hooker. He's watching TJ Hooker on television. (laughs) 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 With a prostitute. What? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
to arrive this freaking second! Uh-oh! Tamales? Tamales! Mama Marquez's famous tamales? With just a pinch of cinnamon! Wait a damn minute! Cinnamon! Why did you tell me he was in there with a hooker? Well, that's what I do when I'm on vacation. And who the f painted my door? Uh-oh! Shut, Shut up. up! Hey, Quinn! How's the vacation?